Luke chapter 15, a familiar passage to us. The Bible says in verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and sent off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. As he had spent everything, there was severe famine in the whole country, began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Then he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father, but he was still a way off. His father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead. It's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. I, I want to talk to you just for a few moments this morning on the misunderstood God, the misunderstood God. This is one of the most powerful stories told in the Bible by Jesus. This son had everything, but in verse 12, he says, give me. Notice when, when he says, give me my share of the estate, he divided his property between them. So the older son got his there too. When he said, give me, what he was saying to his dad, why don't you drop dead? Because you didn't get your inheritance until your father has passed. I mean, pretty bold. Why don't you just drop, give me mine. No mention of the father mistreating him in any way. It's more than just the son walking away from his father. It's the heartbreaking story of a father that cares for his son that's headed for disaster. I don't think we comprehend the pain we put the father through when we leave him. What happens when we get away from God? We get so wrapped up in our sin that we become numb and sin will numb you to the real issues of life. All we see is our loneliness, our emptiness, our despair. We don't think of any hurt that we've caused God. What about God? I wonder if God cries. When I walk away from God, I wonder if he misses me. Is he lonely for me? I wonder if I've brought tears to his eyes. I wonder if his heart aches for me. We're so caught up in our bondage that we forget God misses communion with us. Donnie, does God have emotions? He certainly made yours. Of course he has emotions. Look at verse 13. Picture the father standing there watching the son turn on him. Don't go. I need you. Can you imagine when the son was a little boy playing catch in the front lawn with his father? If you would have walked up to that boy and said, you know, one day you're going to turn on your father. You're going to act as if you don't even know him. You're going to walk all over his feelings. You're going to treat him as a stranger. You're going to crush him. You're going to make him weep. You're going to turn your back on your father. What do you think that boy would say to you? Get out of here, mister. I'm not going to do that. But look at verse 13. He doesn't care about what his father thinks. The boy doesn't care. He's in his own world, interested in his own desires. Why? Why did he leave his father? What caused him to turn on his father? Was it the attraction of the things of the world? 
Maybe he wanted his freedom. Did his friends pull him away? Maybe he wanted to sow some wild oats. What was it? I don't believe that the son had a proper understanding of the father. Our God is so misunderstood today. So many people do not understand who he really is and what he has for them. The prodigal son had the father in his hand, but not his heart. And if you don't have a right understanding of God, there's no way you can appropriate or see the abundance of grace that God has for your life. Because you'll never draw near to God to receive it. You always keep God at a distance. There's nothing more important than knowing God. Your concept of God will determine what kind of person you are. And the enemy wants to keep us from coming to the Father and giving our lives to him. He will cause you to keep your distance from God, to distort the image and character of God. How? Through other people, circumstance, past experiences. The purpose of Jesus' coming was to show us who God really is. We see through the prophets in the Old Testament parts of God's character, but nobody could show us who God really is except Jesus. Jesus came to explain who God is. A lot of people have no problem responding to Jesus, but they're afraid of God. There's not a name that accurately describes God more than Father. And the word Father didn't originate with human beings. Man wasn't sitting around one day and said, you know, how should we refer to God? And some guys, you know, I, I think we should just start calling him Father. What does John 14 and verse 6 say? Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice he didn't say, nobody comes to eternity except through me. So often we spend so much time trying to introduce people to eternity instead of introducing them to Jesus. I remember preaching open air at Fresno State, and we had done the feats of strength, and we got a crowd of about 1,500 students, and this guy shows up with a billboard and a big, huge bullhorn yelling at the crowd that God hates them, and they're going to hell. And this guy looks like he just got back. <laughs> He's screaming at the crowd, and I got mad. You ever want to backslide? You know, <laughs> you just want to backslide for like five minutes and touch this guy up? I, I just wanted to grab him and throw him out of there because here he is yelling at this crowd how much that, that God hates him. And I said, hey, shut up. And he looked up at me. And I said, I have stood here breaking bricks, bending steel bars, blowing up hot water bottles, ripping phone books for almost a half an hour to get this crowd. We don't need you to tell them how much God hates them. If you want to go tell somebody that God hates them, go get your own crowd. And the whole crowd started clapping. So I turned to the crowd and I said to the crowd, how does it feel for a man to stand in the middle of campus at Fresno State and tell you that Jesus Christ loves you? And they, they, they all started clapping. And then I shared my testimony, gave an invitation, and people came to Christ out there in large numbers that day. Introducing him to the Father, not eternity. And then Philip said this in verse 8, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time as this, anyone that has seen me has seen the Father. Man, Jesus is saying, you want to know what the Father's like? You want to know the Father heart of God? 
take a look. We know that God's omnipresent. We know he's omniscient, omnipotent, eternal. But do we know him as father? In Matthew chapter 6, the disciples had traced the secret to Jesus' power was his prayer life. And they came to him and they said, teach us to pray. I, I know my personality, I'll be honest with you. Uh, if I would have been there that day, I would have probably said, hey, Lord, could you teach me how to do the, you know, the walking on the water deal? I want to do that one. <laughs> I'd like to walk on water. That'd be really cool. Or, you know, when, when people are dead, we can raise them back to dead. Show me that one. That's a really a cool one. I like that one. Or, or help me to, to see... The, 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 the way you move in the miraculous, and, and, and if I could just know a few things about opening blinded eyes and deaf ears, that would be good too. But no, they said, teach us to pray. And, and we read this flippantly because we know how the prayer starts. Our Father. But you've got to understand, Jesus used a term that was used in everyday life to address God. And that shocked him. It blew him away. This shook the entire religious scene. The NIV dictionary of New Testament theology, nowhere in the entire wealth of devotional literature produced by ancient Judaism do we find Father used in addressing God. Nowhere. Not just the Old Testament, but it doesn't exist. Do you feel the impact of this? Jesus is telling these guys, this is, this is how you talk to God. You call him Father. And these guys are like, stop, hold on. We can refer to God as Father? If you don't know what it's like to be increasing in the knowledge of God as your Father, then you don't know why Jesus came. What do you think of when you hear the word Father. Do you automatically think of protection, provision, warmth, and tenderness? Does the word Father paint a different kind of picture for you? Each person tends to have a different idea of what God is like because we tend to attach the feelings, impressions that we have of our earthly Father to our concept of our heavenly Father. Our own experience with human authority is usually transferred over to how we relate to God. Good experiences bring us closer to know and understand God. Just as bad experiences create distorted pictures of who our father is and his love for us. Man, does that put a lot of pressure on me as a dad? Because sometimes I feel like I'm a lousy dad. I really do. I mean, sometimes I just feel like, man, I miss it. Especially when my daughters are like 20 and my other daughter's 18 and just graduated from high school and they, they know everything. I mean, I'm the minister. I'm supposed to know it all. And, they, and, they, and I got a boy 13 that he for sure knows everything. <laughs> and I told my daughters I couldn't date until they're 18, and now they're 18. I have no more excuses, Roger. I mean, I lift weights for one reason, to, to intimidate guys that come to date my daughters. I, I had to meet with one this week. And I just looked at him and said, I, do want, I don't want to go to jail for killing you. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to have to kill anyone in your family. I don't want to have to kill you, your dad, your brothers, your siblings, because I'll kill you all if you hurt my daughter. I'll kill everybody.
the pressure to be a dad. And, and, and I love my father. My father's gone to be with the Lord, but my dad was tough. My dad was tough. I mean, he was a tough guy. He came from the South, and he was, he was raised by a, a tough dad. And my grandmother was tough, and she beat men up. I mean, she was full-blooded Indian, and I heard stories about her hitting horses with her fist and knocking them down. I mean, my grand Roger with a wig. That's my grandmother. That's what she looks, sitting bull. She's just... A, then my dad, he comes along and, and bless his heart. I mean, my dad didn't believe in timeouts. He believed in knockouts. And my dad had a belt. And, and my dad, you know how they wear the Western belt buckle? My dad, he, he would have like a hubcap. He had huge belt buckle. And then when he would spank us, he would, he would, he would take his belt buckle. And then once the belt buckle, and then he would start taking his... And then he got his belt, and then he would say the most ridiculous thing that your parents said to you that all of our parents heard, and I've even said to my, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. <laughs> the only thing I could figure is like when he would hit me, he would pull the belt back and he was hitting himself in the head with the belt because <laughs> there was nothing about me getting whipped that was hurting him that I could see. But he said it was hurting him more than it was hurting me, but... My, my dad was, 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 was a strong man. He was, he was not given to a lot of affection. And I can remember, you know, just wanting to hear the words from my dad. You got what it takes. And so when my dad was coaching Little League and he was coaching 11, 12-year-olds, and I was six at the time when I would go to practice and, and start catching behind the plate, six, seven, eight years old with, with these kids that were 11, 12, and my shin guards would be way up above my knees and a chest protector would be dragging the ground. I'd be back there catching. A kid threw the ball from the outfield in and I dove and caught it. And I'll never forget my dad saying what a great catch it was. And right there, what went off in my mind is if I can do good in athletics, I can get my dad's acceptance. If I, if I do good in, in athletics, I can get my dad's affection. If I do good in athletics, I can get my dad's assurance. I, I can get those things through athletics from my father. And, and that's how I felt. Many people today have misconceptions about Father God because maybe like the prodigal son, they have some misconceptions, and maybe you're one of them that's here today. Our Heavenly Father at this very moment is being slandered and misrepresented all over the world by man's cruelty and selfishness. What horror has God seen at this moment? A bedroom door bursts open, a small boy is slapped, awakened by a drunk and angry man in the middle of the night. The sprinklers are still on. It's a flood, I'll teach you. The terrified boy is beaten by this tall, hulking shape of a man that he calls daddy. A 15-year-old prostitute with blank, empty eyes mechanically performs through a night of sin on Hollywood Boulevard. She doesn't care what happens to her. She hasn't felt clean since the night she was molested by her own father. When I go into the public schools and now have spoken face-to-face -to, -face to over 5 million students in 28 years, one of the things I realized in our night meeting, if I touch this topic of your heavenly father, what goes off inside the mind of that young student? Is he just another authority figure that's going to let me down? You don't understand what I go through, mister. 
I have a stepdad, one kid told me in San Jose, California after an assembly that tells me every day he wishes I was never born. It's not uncommon for students to come up to me and say, why did my mom, why did my dad call me names like slut, whore, 15, 14-year-old girl, and they look at me with tears running down their cheeks saying, I'm none of those things. Why wouldn't my parents say that to me? My only answer is, your parents can't give you what was never given to them. They just have a lot of hurt in their life. But so many misconceptions about God. He is the misunderstood God to so many people today because people really don't understand the incredible love that he has for us, the lack of assurance. He didn't trust his father's plan for his life, so he took control. The prodigal son got what he wanted, then he lost what he had. He sought freedom from father's control, only to come under the dependency and dominion of strangers in a pig pen. A lot of young people today are rebellious against God because to them he is just another authority figure that's going to let them down or leave them. And so it's hard for them to trust. And I tell you, men, God is a good God. He's a loving God. He's a caring God. And we as fathers have got to put in our children. We have got to let them know that they got what it takes. I was working out the other day, and I noticed my young boy come out to the weight room to watch his father work out. And he's at the age now where I want him to start working out with me. And he feels embarrassed because he can't lift the weight, obviously, that his dad can. But I'll never forget him walking over and picking a weight up. And he started lifting, and I said, D, you're doing really good. I said, that's good, buddy. You're, you're, you're strong. And I started just saying words of affirmation. And I watched his face, his eyes get big. And next thing you know, he was down next to me. You know, he's wearing my clothes, although they're baggy on him. He had my shirt on, he had my, my shorts, and he was working out with his dad. Oh, I want to tell him every day he got, he's got what it takes to make it in this world and put purpose and destiny in his little life. The second thing in this passage, I notice possibly the son had a lack in his mind of affection, not just toward his dad, but maybe his dad toward him. The way you perceived your earthly father will affect the way you perceive your heavenly father. Many children have no real affection from their fathers and no real compassion when they hurt. It says in verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw. I like that. He saw. It means he was looking. I believe that father would go out and feed that fattened calf because that calf didn't get fat overnight, but he would feed him and say, one day my son's coming home, so we're, we're, we're getting you ready. I believe he'd go into his room and pick up his ball glove and, and throw the ball in it and say, we're going to play catch again. I believe he'd go out and check the mailbox. I believe he was looking up and down the road, and the Bible says he saw. And after he saw, he did something else. He was filled with compassion. That's the father heart of God. God's heart is filled with compassion toward us. How are you going to draw near to a God you think is mad at you? When I, when I, in the first service, asked people to raise their hands that felt that God was disappointed or mad at them, so many people raised their hands. It broke my heart. I, I, I just, something inside me just said, that's not right. For that many people to be in God's house and think that God's mad at them. How, how are you going to draw near 
to a God that you think is mad at you. God not mad at you. He's never been mad at you. I don't care what you've done, where you've gone, where you're at. He saw. He was filled with compassion. And then he ran. The day God ran. The day God put on tennis shoes. He ran. And then I love what it says. It says he threw his arms around him. That, that word translated, threw his arms around him, is the same word that's translated when it says in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit fell on him. It's the same word translated bear hug or embrace. It says he, he embraced him. Maybe that's what you're feeling this morning as I'm speaking on this subject. But the Holy Spirit would put his arms around you and embrace you. That's the same. Isn't that funny? We, we as Pentecostals think, when the Holy Spirit fell and there was fire. And, no, Acts 10 says he fell where they were at. And it was an embrace. That's why when some people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's an, it's an embrace. It's not some loud, extravagant, weird, fire-on-their-head experience. Maybe that's why more people don't receive. Because sometimes we present it in a way that can be so offensive and so threatening and so fearful. But he embraces. That's God. And then it says, and, and it's really translated pretty weakly here in our NIV version. It says, and he kissed him. The, the word and the verb in the Greek is he, he kissed him repeatedly. He must have been Samoan. He just kept kissing him. He, he, he kissed him over and over, but he's dirty. He smells. He's, he's been in this, the pig pen. But the father's holding him. He's kissing him. You're talking about a God that is affectionate, that loves affection, that wants affection, and gives affection. Hey, God's there for assurance in your life. He's certainly a God of affection. What about lack of acceptance? That's what I felt, if I could be honest with you. If, if I would do good in sports, I would get my dad's approval. I, I can remember in high school playing quarterback and one game I threw four touchdown passes and threw for 350 yards. And after the game, I called my dad and I said, Dad, were you at the game tonight? He said, yeah, I was at the game. I said, Dad. I said, what'd you think? He said, I think if you would have saw that guy in the fourth quarter in the end zone when you guys were on that last drive was wide open, you could have had five touchdown passes. 17-year-old boy. 350 yards, four touchdown passes. When I hung the phone up, I realized it was not enough. You know, that striving to get my dad's acceptance and get my dad's approval carried over into the kingdom when I got saved. Because I felt like I had to jump through all these hoops and do all these things. And the harder I worked and the holier I acted, and the more pure I was in my heart, that somehow God's going to like me more. I found out 
over and over, but really in 2008, a revelation of his unconditional love. His unconditional love. God's love. You, you can't do anything to lose it. There's nothing you can do to, God, to lose God's love because there was nothing you did that caused him to start loving you. <laughs> if you didn't come for anything but that this morning, there's nothing you can do that would cause God to stop loving you because there was nothing you did that caused him to start loving you. You're not accepted by what you do. That's why athletes are the hardest group of people to reach. Because every athlete that I speak to is professional athlete. I realize when I walk into that room, if I'm going to speak on the grace of God, they understand one principle. They're only as good as their last performance. Everything in their world is predicated upon performance. Because if you don't perform, you don't play. And if you don't perform long enough, you don't stay. Because there'll be another, ask Ken Griffey Jr., all the years, all the great years he's put in, now at the end, his abilities begin to decline. Get him out. Get someone else in. That's how they live. And that's how some of you live. You think everything is predicated upon your performance in the kingdom of God. You think God accepts you by what you do or don't do. There's nothing you can do to earn God's acceptance. You're not accepted by what you do. You're accepted by who you are. And we live in this performance-based society, and God doesn't deal with you that way. That doesn't mean your performance is not important. I love my children unconditionally. There's nothing they could do that would cause me to stop loving them. I'm not always pleased with them, but I love them. There's nothing they could do that would cause me to stop loving them. There's nothing you can do that would cause God to stop loving you. There's nothing wrong with excelling, but your identity can't be rooted in what you do, but in who you are before God Almighty. People in our culture are being led around by a desire to be accepted. The love of God cannot be earned. You don't deserve it. You can't work for it. All you can do is receive it. The son. Notice the son when he got hungry and he said, how many of my father's hired hands have food to eat? Do you know it wasn't love of the father that brought him home? It was the love of food. It was his tummy. He got hungry. Read it. But God didn't care. He didn't care how he came home. He didn't go over to him and said, you know what? You despise. Oh, you despicable wretch. You so frustrate me. I'm so angry with you. You don't know how many times I've, uh, you, look at the son. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And God stopped him right there. He didn't even let him finish repeating his rehearsed speech on repentance. He didn't get to finish it. He stopped him right there in the middle of his repentance and says, get the best robe. Put a ring on his finger. And those sandals that are used there, there are two types of sandals. One was for a slave, 
One was everyday wearing, actually, sandal, and there, there was an expensive Louis Vuitton sandal that, uh, that's the one he told him to get. Bring the fattened calf. I mean, I fattened calf. People ask me all the time, they said, who was the most disappointed person in the story? It wasn't the older brother. It was the fattened calf. <laughs> he was the most upset the boy came home. What lies beyond creation and everything else is Father. Not some abstract and personal force, but Father. God is not a principle, but a person. God is not a book, although he's given us this book. The book is never to replace relationship with him. God wants to share all of life with you as a father. There's one thing that understanding God as your father brings, and that's security. The Big Bang Theory doesn't leave you with a lot of security. Two planets came together, bang, hello. The misunderstood God. I've asked people over the years, what are some of the ways you see God? Irrelevant, hanging on a cross, not expressive, no feeling or emotions, looking for a way to punish me, threatening me with hell, some cosmic and personal force, the God of the Old Testament of wrath, the enemy will use verses to confirm your worst fears about God. As Kenny comes and we close out our time. I, uh, I had a difficult 208, and God so revealed himself to me in his unconditional love. It, it, it was incredible. Time doesn't permit. Sometime I'll come back and... Uh, you're talking about a friend. You're not loyal, Stan, until you had an opportunity to be disloyal. And that's a loyal friend to me. But when you go through something, and God begins to show you things. I was here last time, I preached a message called God's Extravagant Love. The love of God will change you. It'll change you. I watched it change my dad. When my dad was diagnosed with mesothelioma and they gave him six months at the most to live, he lived a year and a half. I watched the grace of God. My dad accepted the Lord and but he didn't have a, any revelation at all of, of grace. He was raised in a spirit of legalism and when he got old enough to join the army, he left his family and never again returned to the things of God until I got saved in college and I began to witness to him and he didn't want anything to do with God. And I finally watched him come to faith in Jesus Christ and toward the end there, 
God really began to do a healing in my life and in his life. I felt like I let him down because I didn't become a professional baseball or football player. I, I felt like I let him down. I'll never forget one day taking him to the Oakland A's game and so I spoke to the team that day before the game and I said to the guys, before I speak to you today, I want to introduce you to your number one fan. This is my dad, Charles Moore. And all the Oakland A's clapped for my dad. I gave the talk and we went out and we were sitting in our seats. The game was ready to begin. I turned to my dad. I said, hey, dad, God didn't call me to be a professional athlete. He called me to be a preacher, dad. He didn't say very much. He just, he nodded and went on with the game. And but when he got sick, went into his room there in the hospital. We were all alone. I said, Dad, you're a hardworking man. I've known you to work hard all your life. I said, you're a wise man. I said, I'd really like some of that wisdom. I said, Dad, would you, would you say a prayer over me? And I knelt down next to the bed and he took his hand, he laid it on me. His hand began to tremble. And he said, oh God, it gives a man no greater pleasure to look down and know that his son is a Holy Ghost preacher. I mean, I melted. It's like in that moment. I mean, whether I had my dad's approval or not, I knew I had my heavenly father's. But there was something about the way my dad left this earth that he finally came to grips with what God had called me to do. And he blessed it. For some of you, you never had that opportunity. That's okay. Because my Bible says he's a father to the fatherless. And some of you, you were raised in a lot worse situation than mine. Some of you didn't even have a dad. Never knew him. Maybe your dad was an alcoholic or an abuser, physically, verbally. Or maybe you're here and you were raised with a good dad, a great dad. Thank God for that. But you still wandered away became a prodigal that dad's love for you has never changed just like the heavenly fathers I guess what I wanted to tell you today don't let the misconceptions that even earthly men have put in your life cause you not to see the incredible love that God has for you Jesus said, <laughs> I come to show you who the Father is. Philip, Jesus, if you'll just show us the Father, it'll be the icing on the cake. He said, don't you know, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father.
2,000 years ago, God took his mask off and he showed the world what he really looked like. It's Jesus. How can you not love him? A lot of misconceptions. A lot of things people say about God. But I trust what Jesus says. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. Let's bow and pray. Father, it feels so good to say those words. You are our Father, oh God. In a room like this, behind every face, there's a story. And Lord, some of these stories that could be told today are sad ones. Some people have gone through things that are in this room that are unbearable. This shouldn't have happened to ever happen. They never signed up for it. They never signed up for an abusive dad or a dad that was never there. An alcoholic dad or a drug dad. Just feel the Holy Spirit just leading you. There's somebody here, your father committed suicide. And uh, you're here today. And there's just been a hole in your heart for so many years. And you've blamed your mother, family members. You'll never know all the reasons. Not in this lifetime. But God wants to heal you today. You've been carrying this much too long. I see a young lady just being verbally abused by a dad that's telling her that she'll never amount to nothing. A loser always will be a loser. You're fat, unattractive, and ugly. Those words are so hurtful, so painful. It's so wrong. It's like God's taking his eraser out and on the canvas of your mind erasing those words today. Sir, your dad couldn't give you what was never given to him. So all the perfectionism that he tried to put on you, pushing you, driving you. Maybe yours wasn't in the athletic arena, but it was in the schoolroom. Get this grade. Do better. Do more. Achieve. And you thought all along the way, if I can just do enough, I can get my dad's acceptance. And you've carried that over to the kingdom of God. And your walk with God has been about performance. It's a big difference between doing things to get God's acceptance or when you get his acceptance, then you do them out of a love relationship where you want to do them. People like that here today carrying deep hurt, 
And some of us need to forgive our dads because our dads could never give us what was never given, could never give us what was never given to them. They just passed the hurt down that was in their lives. Whether it be a stepdad or a real father, just let it go today. Doesn't mean you agree with what they've done and you're just not gonna carry it any longer. Just gonna let it go. If you're here today and you're a prodigal, I just wanna address you real quick. You don't have to be a prodigal as far as physically run away in sin, but maybe in your heart. You're doing some things in your mind, in your heart that you know you shouldn't be doing. You're going somewhere you shouldn't be going in your mind. There's issues right now where your heart is away from God. It's not just a state of being, it's a, it's a state of, of your attitude and where you're at. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about your position in him and he's not doing it in a condemnatory way. He's reaching for you with his love. He's reaching for you with his love. His arms are wide open. He's running toward you with a heart of compassion, not with anger, not with a sledgehammer in one hand, a lightning bolt in the other, but a loving God that's reaching for you. Wherever you're at today, God's speaking one word to you over here, ma'am, another word to you over here, sir, but God's speaking to you today. Let him speak to you through this message and through these words. And I have a father He calls me his own He'll never leave me No matter where I go my every thought and he sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call knows my name yeah. he knows my name yes he does My every thought And He sees each tear that falls And hears me when I call He hears me And He hears me when I call Could everyone stand, would you? Would you stand with me and still reverently in prayer would you just bow I want to ask you a question how many of you 
would be bold enough to admit you had a father that was a godly man and was there putting the right things in your life even if he wasn't a Christian maybe he was God fearing morally there to support you in the best he could and you had that example in your life would you hold your hand up okay would you put your hands down with your heads bowed and eyes closed how many would would say Donnie I uh, had a poor example of a father and uh, hands are going up again all over that's just being honest that ain't uh Lord, those that just raise their hands, any issues that are in their lives as a result of anything that was put there. God, even with my dad, my dad was a good man, but he couldn't give me what was never given to him. And I'm so glad there was healing. And Lord, I ask you to help me I just got to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Um, every every man that's a dad, would you would you hold your hand up? Every dad in here right now, would you slip out wherever you're at? I just got to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and come and stand down here quickly. Would you? Every one of you, just the men. The Lord spoke to me to say a prayer over you, and I, I was going to go a different way with the altar call, but. I've learned a long time ago that if I be obedient to God, then I don't know about you guys. It's hard, man. It's hard. And I got great kids. But I feel like sometimes I miss it. And um, I'm praying for you, but I'm including me in this prayer. We wouldn't even be here today if we didn't want to be good men, godly men, good dads. I honor you today for bringing your family to church. I honor you today for uh, being here as men. I honor you today for doing the best you can to be a good husband. You know, God really taught me a lot in 2008 about my wife and being a better listener. It's one thing when you communicate for a living. Sometimes you, you have a gift, but you don't listen very well. And um, I was telling Pastor Stan last night that God just helped me so much by sitting down with Cindy and saying things like, how did it make you feel when I did that? And letting her talk. It's just been incredible for our marriage. I don't know why I'm saying that, but I'm just being vulnerable with you. It's helped me so much to let her open up and talk and share without me getting my feelings hurt, but listening. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better dad. And I don't want the things that my dad put in me hurt my relationship with my wife and with my kids. And one of the things that, that my dad did when he got mad, he didn't talk. He would just shut down. And that's why now I talk. I say, Cindy, let's talk this through. Because before I didn't, I'd just go off and just 
won't talk. That's how I dealt with it when I got mad. Now, I, before I do that and sulk and pout, freeze her out, I said, you know, we need to talk. It's changed everything. Lord, I bless these men today. Oh, God. I bless the young men that are here, that one day they'll be fathers. God, I bless the women that are represented out there that our spouses. God, today we make a recommitment to you, Father, to receive you as our Father and let the Father heart of God get in us that we would be that to our families, to our children, God, to our wives. God, let us be godly men. Men that have hearts turned toward you. Oh God, in Jesus' name we pray. Bless these men. Amen.